This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. It's 7.06 a.m. on Thursday, the 30th of November, the very last day of the month before we go into the 12th month of the year. I'm Shazana Mukhtar with Keith Kam and Wong Xiaoning. As always, we're going to kickstart the morning with a look at how global markets closed overnight. It was uh, kind of a flat day for U.S. markets. Uh, the Dow was up barely up 0.04%. The S&P 500 was down 0.1% and the Nasdaq closed 0.2% lower. Earlier in the day in Asia, Japan's Nikkei closed 0.3% lower. Hong Kong's Hang Seng was down 2.1%. Shanghai's Composite was down 0.6%. Singapore's STI rose 0.6% and the FBM KLCI was down 0.1%. For some thoughts on what's moving international markets, we have on the line with us Vishnu Bharathan, Head of Economics and Strategy at Mizuho Bank. Vishnu, good morning. Thanks as always for joining us. Can we start off with taking a look at data coming from the US? US GDP was revised upward to 5.2%. That's the fastest pace of growth in two years, indicating that uh, the economy there remains robust. What does that mean for Fed rates when the FOMC convenes later in December? Good morning. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good question because I think uh, not just last night, but the night before as well. Markets have focused a lot on um, the uh, Fed speakers who have been deemed to be hawkish, who have turned distinctly less so, at least from the perception of their words. So now that GDP is stronger, the question is, uh, does strong GDP then offset uh, the slightly less hawkish uh, rhetoric coming out? And does this mean that uh, a rate hike is still on the table? Uh, I think for markets that want to rally and want to make this a center rally through the year, and uh, there's some uh, aspects of good news in, in the stronger GDP, especially because it's a Goldilocks GDP. So center and Goldilocks get together here <laughs> in so far that uh, con- consumption was actually revised down slightly, even though the headline number is higher. So the higher number comes about from a upward revision to government spending and investments. So they've got the, the, the exact sweet spot that they want. They've got a slightly weaker consumer, uh, you know, the main bugbear uh, and the bogeyman for the Fed that will hold them back. And they've got signs of disinflation and a Fed that's saying, you know what, guys, we don't need to hike in a rush. In fact, we're comfortable where we are. And maybe, just maybe, if disinflation keeps up, which we think it will, we could reverse course. Uh, and so at the December meeting, uh, you know, I, I don't think there's going to be a huge impetus for a rush to hike. So that's going to be a hold. But the exact balancing of the statement would be interesting, but not just because uh, we want to see how in aggregate they react to the change in the data, uh, because now we're cherry picking the hawkish guys turning less hawkish. Instead, we need to see if markets predicted this or, or anticipate this and, and bring bond yields a lot lower, would the Fed then lean against it and say, you know what, yields are too low or come down too fast. So maybe the option of a hike is on the table. So that aspect of a hawkish surprise is still embedded somewhere there. So I, I just think uh, there's no room for complacency yet, even though uh, the temperature has, has, been, has been dialed back a lot. So Vishnu, do you then believe that this bond rally that we've seen, which actually the global sovereign and corporate debt, at least a gauge of it, is on track for the best month since 2008, this rally is not going to continue then? I think it's got legs to continue. In fact, mm. you know, we were kind of kicking ourselves because, you know, much earlier we said by end of the year, yields will be down sharply. 
Uh, but because of the stickiness in the data, we said, you know what, the, the sharper downside in yields may only come through in Q1. Uh, so it looks like, you know, markets are very happy to just uh, see what they want to see uh, and, and, you know, cherry pick their way through to the end, the end of the year. I mm. think all they need is for the Fed not to mention that yields have fallen too fast, too soon. Otherwise, the data are in their favor. Mm. Although to your point, which is a really good point, I think a lot of it is front loaded. Okay. Uh, so the strong moves may not come through in a very big way. And what about your view in terms of when a rate cut is going to happen? Because now the swap markets are pricing in one in May versus an earlier expectation of a June cut. I'm happy to say the markets have uh, now finally agreed with us. <laughs> so, you know, just just to stick our neck out and, and make sure that my career is on the line, we said, you know, one could be as early as March. But, you know, we were really, I mean, the, the main narrative there is by the middle of the year, you won't just see a rate cut. But by then, because of the narrative and the, and the evidence, mark, uh, you know, the markets will bet that the Fed can't just cut by 50 that they said or the 100 that markets are betting now. But perhaps they'll go a lot further with it, with somewhere between 150 to 200 for the for 2024. Vishnu, uh, just want to get your view on on what's happening up north from from both of us. Uh, Thailand's economy has been slowing of rate. How how much did that play into the Bank of Thailand's decision to keep rates on hold at two and a half percent yesterday? Yeah, I mean, uh, I I think that that the Bank of Thailand on uh, on account of uh, the the balance of risks in the economy probably deemed itself done a long time ago because if you recall for a while, they were doing consecutive rate hikes. So they wanted to give a, a, a very stable, uh, you know, cue to the market that we are gradually tightening as we are calibrating. And then they wanted to say they are done. But just before this bond market rally uh, led by, by, you know, the Fed dialing back hawkishness, before that, we did see a spate of, uh, you know, sudden surge in USD yields and all of that. That was a, a big thing for for the for the BOT because it at that point it caused a lot of downside risks in the Thai baht and a lot of pressures, uh, and that would have actually uh, you know up the dilemma for the Bank of Thailand to to maybe hike a little bit more, um, especially because there were bigger questions about the fiscal deficit and a lot of lack of clarity on it. Is that risk now faded and is the BOT comfortable holding? I think mostly they are, but they are mindful of the fact that this is a fickle market. She loves me and then she loves me not. <laughs> so they probably can't say we are, you know, our next move is a cut for sure. I, I think they don't have the confidence to say that yet. Vishnu, I always talk to you about uh, the, the dollar ringgit level and right now it's at 464-ish. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't get that 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 history of uh, my, my history. Uh, 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 but in any case, yeah, uh, it's down to 464, 465-ish and it's the strongest we've seen in in, in the longest time. Yet, uh, to contextualise for, for our listeners as well, uh, against a sing dollar, we are at the weakest, all-time weakest at three 350. Uh, we've got our economy minister saying that he's very very positive about the dollar ringgit level going into 2024. How do you how do you make of what do you make of this this um, speculation going forward? Well, I think if you know, or just to on a technicality, he's definitely right. I, I think that the bigger direction of travel for into 2024, albeit with a lot of volatility and, and just the caveat that we're not quite out of the woods yet with regards to a strong dollar. I think the direction of travel would be a slightly weaker dollar going into 2024. So that's that's not wrong to say that. But to contextualize this further, mm -hmm. Singh isn't even the best performing currency in the region. 
it pales in comparison to the Korean won, the Thai baht, the Aussie dollar, the Kiwi dollar. So uh, even Singh has underperformed in the sense that um, it's really a broad dollar move. It's not so much about the euphoria in, in the Asian economies. And certainly it doesn't uh, you know, in any way negate the fact that uh, this could actually happen coincident to downside risks uh, in, in the global economy, which can't be good for any of the currencies. And by which time, uh, I think that for, for us, the, the main point about this is whether or not pressures from a strong dollar have durably subsided. And I think clarity on that comes about uh, in the first half of next year. Uh, and, and, and that's really where we, we, we probably must, must focus on uh, because this is tied to yields as well. Uh, and we want to bear in mind, you know, global interest rates are still a lot, a lot higher uh, than what we're used to. So, you know, we're not out in the clear yet. So bigger picture, the ringgit on its own is one of the weaker performers in the in the region. Would, you, would, would it be accurate to say that? Wow, you wanted to take that out of my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. I mean, uh, so, I mean, clearly there are two, two factors here. One is, I think this actually positions uh, the ringgit to outperform next year, particularly because we think a bottoming in global semiconductors would be really good for Malaysia and, and by extension, the ringgit. But I don't think we are at that point yet, which means uh, the ringgit's underperformance, that baggage remains. The relief comes mostly from the dollar. And I think for a turnaround to come about, uh, the big factors are not quite meeting yet because the uncertainty around two factors. One is uh, the, 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 the wider geopolitical environment, which still favours dollar, even with the correction. Uh, and the other factor is, is really the risk uh, that we're not out, out of the woods given the higher for longer rates. So these two factors still cloud the picture, but uh, on, on a slightly more you know, zoomed in level, the bottoming in semiconductors in particular for the ringgit is going to add to the tailwinds. Um, and, and, and that's really where we are positive about it. But that's for a little later, that's deferred uh, you know, gratification. Vishnu, thank you as always for the chat. That was Vishnu Varathan, Head of Economics and Strategy with Mizuho Bank, speaking to us about some of the trends that he sees moving markets in the days and weeks ahead, giving us some glimmers of hope on the horizon for the ringgit, but it really is in that distant horizon. I, I think it's more guarded when you say uh, you know the glimmer of hope for the ringgit because in the bigger scheme of things, the ringgit may strengthen against the US dollar, but we are not strengthening as quickly as the other currencies that are around us, especially in the countries that, that many Malaysians like to visit on holidays or, or Malaysians like to send their children to, for example. All I can say is that the ministers in, in government just need to focus on doing the, their job rolling out the economic reforms that they say they're going to do so, do it well, no backpedaling on any measure. Focus on that. And if they can deliver that, then hopefully the winged will improve in line with our economic performance. All right, we'll be keeping an eye on that. But let's take a look at some of the corporate earnings that have crossed our table from the international uh, world. Let's look at Snowflake, a data warehouse as a service company. Snowflake experienced a slowdown in growth during the past year, but they reported a better than expected quarterly product sales outlook. Revenue was up 31.8% on year to 734.2 million US dollars, while Q3 product revenue grew 34% year over year to reach 698 million US dollars. 
If we look at their customer pipeline, the numbers have improved. Snowflake has 463 customers that spent more than a million US dollars on products over the last year. That's up from 402 the previous quarter. The results also reflect strong execution in a broadly stabilizing macro environment. It's also expecting revenue expansion. Uh, uh, revenue expansion has also slowed due to customers being a little bit more wary about their spending on, on software. Yeah, but the stock is actually up 22% on a year-to-date basis. The street still likes it. 32 buys, 14 holds, 1 sell. Consensus target price, 203 US dollars. Last time the price during regular market hours, it was actually up $3.77 to 175 US dollars and 32 cents. All right, Snowflake not melting anytime soon, it <laughs> seems. 7.19 a.m. We're heading into some messages, but we'll come back with more of the top stories in the newspapers and portals. Stay tuned to BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.